business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's 10 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining me. Today is the day 11 of the Israeli-Gazan war that started last Saturday on Simchat Torah in here in Israel on the 7th of October. What I will do for the next 20 minutes or so is just give you some updates as to what's happening, some personal reflections of how I'm finding things here, how I'm, my family are finding things, where I've been, what I've done, what I've seen, and answer some of the questions that have come through. From 11.30, from 12.30 onwards, we'll be speaking to Baylor Samto, who is a citizen of Modien, a volunteer, to her together with a friend, Karen, have set up an organization to streamline all the chesed, all the good and kindness that is happening around so that it's not duplicated. Because what we were finding last week is that four or five parents were all going down to the same point to drop off similar things. And by streamlining it now, you've got one person going down, dropping things off, and it just makes it a lot more efficient. Also, what it does is it allows those other people to go and drop off at other places that necessarily were not getting them and therefore the streamline of the situation comes through. I spoke to you last week, Tuesday. I think, well, I know I came across as very angry, as very concerned. The damage that we're seeing in Gaza now hadn't really started to manifest, and therefore the ripple effect of that hadn't started to come through. That is now full-blown, and we're seeing what's happened we're seeing the challenges with the Rafah crossing into Egypt, and we're seeing that there are refugees moving down south as Israel instructed, and the effects that is having on the civil, on the civilians over there, and the tit for tat nonsense that's happening in the media as to who's responsible for killing them. But before we go there, let me just tell you the milieu of which one lived in from, or is living in from last Wednesday to today. So there is no doubt that Israel is on a, on a war foot, footing. The first thing you'll notice is that Israel is a lot quieter. And I'll say that in two senses. Number one, people are a lot calmer. There's a lot less hooting. You'll find that people would have hooted a lot more before. Everybody's very skittish. Everybody's very nervous. And people are just taking a lot, a lot easy. And second of all, it is quieter. The streets are quieter at night. There's still people driving around. But people are already asked to stay in their homes and not go around. We live right next to open felt. There's Yishuvim. There are small settlements all around us. And um, people there are already staying in the Yishuvim at night, walking around freely, going about their things in a very normal way, but not leaving. Definitely not going out for a run in the hills or a ride in the hills like was happening before. People are a lot more concerned, a lot more cautious like that, and they've been warned not to do that. The other big difference that happened is that there was a an instruction that came out from the Home Command 
that there shouldn't be gatherings of more than 50 people. So for those who are, um, go to synagogue and go to pray, the, the seating was limited to 50 and it was 50 people sort of per building. And that created the opportunity to sort of go back to the corona system where a lot of people made minyanim, a lot of people made um, prayer groups in their homes or between their homes in the alleys, so to speak. And that's created a nice sense of camaraderie again. But shul synagogue did feel very empty. It felt strange. It almost felt like we were back in corona and having just came out of it. The same with gym. A lot of gyms around the country were closed and they were really pushing to open because they understood how important it was for people to be able to exercise, for people to be able to get out of their homes and just come and let off some steam. So they were also limiting it. But as of a few days ago, those limitations have now been lifted and everything is back to its normal sizes. That doesn't mean that the malls are open. That doesn't mean that trains and buses are running on normal schedules. The schedules are there and they're up, but people need to understand that things can change at any time. We live pretty far in Modi'in from Gaza. It'll take me about an hour and a half to drive down if the traffic is flowing. And, you know, so that's about a 100 kilometers, give or take. Yet yesterday afternoon, my wife had gone out for a walk and there was an almighty boom. So we're used to the booms. You can hear when they're quite far away. And that's the Iron Dome doing its thing. But this one was eerily close. And it was the shopping center down the road. To give you a perspective, if you live in Gallo Manor in Santon, there was like at Woodmead Value Mart. That's how close it was. Um, there was no shrapnel that, that people reported. There was no imminent danger to life because the Iron Dome did what it did. But just in case we felt that we were away from the zone, there's no ways that we were. Tel Aviv, Rishon, Batyam, these are places that I go to often, especially in summer for the beach. And those are places that the missiles are reaching very, very regularly. Iron Dome does its thing. And we are aware that the reason why there was so much uh, missile damage before is because of the barrage that was sent out. Iron Dome wasn't designed to deal with that amount of uh, missiles coming at one particular time. We're now back to Hamas's old games, and we're getting two or three or four, maybe five at a time, and that's very with, much within the scope of Iron Dome. What we've also seen is that Israel's brought out its own laser technology to deal with the rockets. I've seen videos. Once again, I can't corroborate that they are true. I didn't see them on an official IDF website, but instead of a a Iron Dome missile costing between 60 and 100,000 US dollars. Apparently this costs $7.50 every time the laser shoots. So it's a fraction of the cost and it is as effective. Hopefully it's true and um, hopefully that will be a, a, another deterrent for Hamas. What's coming out now on the day-to-day basis is the way people are operating, the pay, way people are going around. Let's take Shabbat, for example. Shabbat in Israel is a big day. It's a big day across the country. For those who observe the, 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 the Shabbat, the Sabbath, and go to synagogue and go to shul or get together and pray, 
And for those who use it as a day where they're a lot more relaxed and go out and see family and travel, that has changed. Again, with the limitation of how many people we could have had last Saturday, there were small groups. Um, I know I went to the park behind me um, in the evening and during the day I went to a friend's house and there were about 20 or 30 of us. But it's a very, very serious and heartfelt event going to pray. People are concerned. Every single person you meet either knows somebody who's serving currently in the IDF, and it's not somebody who knows somebody. It's either a husband or a child or a wife or a daughter. Everybody knows somebody who was affected by the heinous murders that happened last Saturday. And we all know people who have got loved ones that are missing. I went to Bar Mitzvah this Shabbat afternoon, very good friends of ours, and as I mentioned last week, her aunt, her cousin, and their children are all missing. And they have not heard anything. And the Bar Mitzvah was a very low key event, just the family and a few friends tried to make it as lively and as spontaneous and as exciting as we possibly could so this youngster could have a bar mitzvah. But to see our friend's father and mother sitting there, knowing that their sister, their sister-in-law, her daughter and her children are somewhere in Gaza. No one knows where they are and no one knows how they are is something that is indescribable. To sit there and see the pain, the outward expression of the agony that these people are going through, it was very, very difficult to make a effort to be happy for this young man while his cousins are unaccounted for. Let's take a quick break, and then when I come back, let's talk about some of the positive things, some of the exciting things that have happened amidst this tragedy. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Last Friday, I had the honor, I should say, of taking a whole lot of goods down to my daughter's unit that is serving down on the Egyptian border. I didn't get to see her. I didn't get anywhere near the base. We were told which base to go to. And I was the messenger to deliver everything. But being a little bit nervous, I wanted to go with somebody who knew the lay of the land. And I wanted to go with somebody who's armed. And I put on the parent group that I'm happy to go, but can someone join me um, so that I don't travel alone? And I was told, yes, no problem. If you come to a place called... um um, Beit um, Kalia, there you, there you will meet a parent. His name is Benny Tefillin, and he will go with you. I get there, so to Beit Kama, I get to Beit Kama, I meet this chap, we put everything in his bucky, and we start traveling down. And what, what transpires in our tour, in our down south, is that Benny is not a parent of a daughter in my daughter's unit. He's actually not a parent of a soldier. His children are too young for the army, and he has passed the age of doing miluim and doing call-ups. He's an olive farmer on the kibbutz in Beit Kama, and he also works for the Israeli electrical company 
as a negotiator between Israel and the Bedouin communities in order to move Bedouin communities, you know, away when they're putting up new power lines. The conversation with, with this man was humbling and it was interesting to say the least. First of all, the humility. Somebody who deals with the Arabs in Israel every single day, not a word of hate, not a snide comment, not a bitter comment. A man who has done his bit to fight for this country, but yet loves the country with a deep, deep passion and a connection to the land. And that's why he grows olives, not to make money. He says, if anything, he loses money on them, but to make sure that he's connected to the land. And a person is prepared to give up his time, travel down south of me an hour and a half each way, treat the parcels that we're giving out as if they were for his own child, treat everybody who comes along with such respect and patience and understanding, was an absolute eye-opener for me. Our community is mainly made up of people who have made Aliyah to Israel, I would say predominantly in the last 10 years. Our closer friends or maybe those who have made Aliyah who have come to Israel in less than that. But here to meet someone who's a born and bred subra, as we say, and absolutely a local guy who understands how things work. And yet when we speak to him, we hear the urgency in his voice to do the job, to stop what happened, but to make sure that it doesn't happen again. But at the same time, there's no talk of malice and hate and destruction and vengeance. It's simply a matter of stopping what goes on. We've got four minutes before we go to our guest, and I know this is something I'm going to be asked, so it's, I might as well address the elephant in the room, and that is what's happening in Gaza at the moment, again, from my own perspective. As a South African, not being able to sit down and beat out a settlement or to negotiate something where every side gives up something in order to make sure that society is better going forward is almost something that I can't get my head around. But the actions of Hamas last week stood out for me in two ways. Number one, if you look at the videos, again, these are videos released by Hamas. They're on all the main news networks, and you're seeing them over and over again. The people going into the kibbutzim, the people going into the yeshuvim, the people going to the Jewish-Israeli settlements were not only trained seasoned soldiers of Hamas. They were average citizens from Gaza. Look at their shoes. Look at the sandals that we're wearing. Look at their dress. Look at their age. And look what they did. The other thing is the brutality. Put those two things together. And there is absolutely no way that you can compare the fighters of Mkonto Sizwe, the fighters of South African then Defense Force, with what's going on here in Israel. There is no comparison at all. We are fighting an enemy that is not about land. We are fighting an enemy that is wanting to destroy and kill. A Jew, an Israeli, 
is so detested that there is no thought or hesitation for the brutal murder, raping, and disemboweling of them. They are so detestable that that seems acceptable. If that's the case, then we are not only fighting against an army called Hamas. We are fighting against a population that supports them, that has supported them. Yes, they could very well have been captives of Hamas who is known to be brutal to the people who live there. But there was no outreach for help. The population didn't stand up and say, we've had enough. There wasn't even a secret message sent to say, please, come and help us. But on an average day, you would stand at the two crossings, Kerem Shalom, the Rafa crossing in Egypt, and the crossing up north, and you would just see things going on, people going in, people going out, transactions happening, life going on. And yet there was no cry for help. That is not a justification for killing civilians. But civilians, you knew what was coming. It's not the first or the second or the fifth time that Hamas has bombed Israel and Israel has retaliated. You know what the modus operandi is. To say you're running out of water, to say you're running out of food, to say you're running out of medicines when you knew this was coming, I think it's a little bit late for that. Especially the facts are Israel doesn't supply the majority of any of that. The majority of that comes from Egypt. So on that sad note, let's take a quick break. Craig, I'm sure you will play something a little bit uplifting. And in the meantime, we will join up with our next interview in a moment. 